I think just to being the humble sort of guy that he is, he failed to mention that um, he was actually the bus driver that uh, took the gang down to Mexico. So if you're looking to do a charter thing, um, <laughs> he'd probably be glad to take you wherever you want to go. Speaking of recuperative powers, if I understand this right, Pat, when I was talking to Pat and Tammy, had, what, what day was that that you had your baby? Wednesday, Wednesday. Now here, ladies, is a woman who you all could be proud of, okay? Wednesday, tell, oh, I'm going to tell you whether you want to hear it or not. It was, it was Wednesday, right? She had the baby Wednesday. Where was she yesterday, Pat? Shopping. Yes, indeed, ladies and gentlemen. There is a woman who can, you can be proud of, ladies. There's one that you might want to rub shoulders with next week when you see her. Shopping. Gee. Anyway, that one's... This morning we continue our series on please, uh, that we've entitled Pleasing God. And um, we're going to take a look in this particular session how evangelism and uh, how appropriate it is that Steve introduced us the way that he did from the standpoint that uh, the Mexican outreach is basically an outreach that's geared around telling other people about Jesus Christ. And we're going to look this morning and in our next session how evangelism pleases God. The evangelistic harvest is always urgent. The destiny of men and of nations is always being decided. Every generation is strategic. We are not responsible for the past generation and we cannot bear the full responsibility for the next one. But we do have our generation. God will hold us responsible as to how well we fulfill our responsibilities to this age and take advantage of the opportunities that he gives us. Those words are spoken by Billy Graham. And Billy Graham, it, it's almost impossible to separate Billy Graham's name from evangelism. You look in the, in the dictionary under evangelism and it would say, see Billy Graham. I mean, it, it's impossible to separate the two. And uh, one of the things that he has made mention of, and he has spoken to more people publicly than probably anybody in history because of the, uh, the technology that's available to us today, he has invaded more homes than anyone that I can think of with the message and the, and the good news of Jesus Christ. And those are his words, and he has um, the right to share those and express those because he certainly should know. One of the things that's interesting to me is that Billy Graham has a great handle on evangelism, and I don't think there's anyone here that would question that or challenge that, but many of us don't. And it's a real struggle because here's another area of our life, as in many of that we've already discussed, but here's an area of our life where we're talking about how evangelism pleases God. And yet many of us don't have a very good handle on evangelism. And if the truth be known, many of us have taken courses on how to be better equipped at sharing who Jesus Christ is with the world around us, and yet, embarrassingly so, uh, we fail to do it. And so it's an area that, frankly, many people struggle with. And so I understand that in, in trying to be as sensitive as I possibly can, I've broken this down into two sessions. The first session, you were just clearing your throat, or was that kind of an emphatic statement? <laughs> was that some kind of grunted amen? Is that what that was? That's all right. But uh, what we've done is we've taken these two, these two sessions, and session, the first session we're going to take a look at will have to do with four major principles. Four principles as they pertain to evangelism, and, in the, and, and those principles will lay a foundation for us to build upon next week. And um, 
the principles would be more theory. Uh, there'd be a biblical basis for why we should share the good news of Jesus Christ. We need again to understand why so it motivates us to do it and it'll lay a foundation for us that is more, um, well, maybe more the characteristics of a person who wants to please God in the area of evangelism. And then our next session next week, we'll take a look at six practical guidelines. It would be a case study, it would be a life example of how to go about in, a, in, a daily, in your daily routine being able to share with others who Jesus Christ is without it being a canned sort of speech, without it coming from left field, without you trying to squeeze something in that isn't there. And, uh, you know, one, one of the things that, that, that I've struggled with and that we've worked on is that, you know, with some of the guys that we're working with, like in the Rams and other um, professionals that have access to the media, one of the things that most of you don't understand is that, you know, we, we look and say, boy, you know, if I had the microphone put in front of me, I'd sure let everybody know who Jesus Christ is. And, and that's amazing how you would do that when you're, you're afraid to talk to the person that you work with every day. But uh, I'm sure that if a microphone was put in front of you, it would come through with that promise. But, um, <laughs> but what most people don't understand is that, you know, you can't take something. When somebody says, you know, what were you thinking on that play? and come and introduce a whole totally different subject that number one it's rude to the interviewer to use that as a platform to discuss something that was never asked and you've got to understand that you know there's a way to do it that's non-offensive any more than it needs to be offensive because the message is offensive and we've seen that anybody that says I just want to give praise and glory to Jesus Christ and you see how fast your microphone is taken into another corner of the locker room but uh, we know that but we don't need to be any more offensive than the message is, and that's what we need to learn. We need to learn to be real when we share Jesus Christ with other people. And so next week we'll take a look at a practical way to do it. This week we're going to take a look at some major principles that will give us maybe the motivation as to why to do it. We'll also look at some hindrances. Why, why don't we share? What are some of the things that bother us and why, why do we have these obstacles in our life? We'll look at that next week, and this week we're going to take a look at these four principles that I've already discussed. So four major principles that will give us a biblical foundation to build upon in our next session. And if you've got your Bibles with you, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we'll pick it up at verse uh, 31. First Corinthians 10, starting with verse 31, we see in this passage that Paul is saying that evangelism is a matter of pleasing God. It does please God when we share with others the good news of Jesus Christ. So if you're a person who wants to please God and dedicated to pleasing God in all areas of your life, this is just one more area that we're going to have to get together on. He says in verse 31, Whatever then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all of it, do everything to the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, that they may be saved. One of the most difficult things to do is juggle the relationship that we have with non-believers with not compromising our walk with the Lord. It's a difficult thing to do. And so what Paul is saying, he's saying, look, you know what, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And he goes on and in context says, you know what, and this pertains to evangelism as well. Everything that we do, we're doing to the glory of God. 
But then he goes through and he says, you know what? Now, verse 33 causes many of us to really shudder. Same with verse 32. He says, don't be offensive either to the Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Don't be offensive to anybody. Don't offend people. He says, just as I also please men in all things, not seeking my own profit. See, now, here I know there's somebody saying, well, you know, it's, well, I mean, is he leaving, living to please men or is he living to please God? Because if he's living to please God, you can't please men. We know that. If you're trying to please people, you can't please people, so you might as well please God. We know that in relationships. We know that all the time. We can't please one another. And it gets frustrating trying to please each other. So we just say, you know what? Well, I don't care anymore about other people. I'm just living to please God. said, oh, you know what? Gee, that sounds all good, but it's wrong in the context of evangelism. See, what you need to be doing is you need to do everything you can within your power to be pleasing to people that you come in contact with who don't know Jesus Christ. Don't be offensive to people because you're the only person that they may see that represents the love and forgiveness of God. So he's saying whatever you do, you do all of those things to please people. Why? So that you will win people. So that they may be saved by how you conduct your life in dealing with them. See, some, I mean, some of us got this a attitude about separation. We're sanctified people. That's what the Bible says. Those who have put their faith and trust in Christ are sanctified. We're separated. We're holy people. We're a, we're, a, we're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're separated under God's own purposes. So we look at ourselves and we say, we should live over here in little, in little Christian circles and let the rest of the world go to hell because we can't be a part of them, right? We can't do things with them. We can't live with them. We can't act with them. We can't go places with them. We can't be a part of their life because we're separated from them. So, you know, what Paul's saying is, no, wait a minute. You're, you're really confused about this issue of separation. You are separated, and I am separated from them only in the standpoint that we are separated because we've trusted in Jesus Christ. We're not put into this group or this category over here that are forgiven. But where God says we're to live a life pleasing to Him, it means that we just don't sin. We don't compromise. But to be non-offensive to non-Christians has nothing to do with whether we sin or not. If they say, come with us and partake with us and do the things that we do and sin with us, then you draw the line. But he's saying, I'm not going to be offensive to them and not do things with people because I want to win those people to Jesus Christ. So he's saying, I'm going to be part of them. I want to be around non-Christian people. But most Christians don't want to be around non-Christians. And frankly, when I wasn't a Christian, I didn't be around you either. You know why? Because you weren't a lot of fun to be around. Man, you talk about people baptized in vinegar and uptight. Man. It's like, what's so attractive about your life as a Christian? If you're so uptight about going somewhere or doing something with a non-Christian, who wants to hang out with you? And that's what Paul's saying. So the question isn't a matter of, does he say compromise to win people to Christ? Obviously not. We don't sin to win people to Christ. Sinning only causes confusion in their mind as to where we stand. Well, if you do this, 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 and this, hey, I do this, 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 and this, we must be Christians. We all must be Christians. I'm no different than you. You're no different than me. I don't see any difference. See what the problem is? No, you don't sin to win people to Christ. You live a life of obedience to Christ and you become friends with them in areas that are non-essential so that you can win them to Christ. So Paul is saying in the, in the context of evangelism that you know what? The only way it's going to work is that you're going to have to start pleasing people who don't know Jesus Christ. And frankly, some of us don't want to take the time to do it. 
because it requires effort. So the question is this. You need to ask yourself, am I seeking to please unbelievers in order to win them to Jesus Christ and bring glory to God? Is that my purpose in the associations that I have? Am I seeking to please unbelievers in order to win them to Christ and bring glory to God? That is the root question that we're going to deal with as we take a look at uh, these four principles. So we're going to take a look at them one at a time, and you grade yourself and you tell me how well you're doing. Or just tell yourself, whatever. The first principle is this, and it has to do with having a proper attitude. Principle number one, having a proper attitude. Listen as Paul, in context of the same particular passage, goes on now to explain what he's talking about. The first 14 verses of chapter 9 deal with the fact that Paul outlines and says, look, you know what? Missionaries have a right to be supported for spreading the good news about Jesus Christ. And he goes through and he, and he presents quite an argument. So the first 14 verses, he's saying, you know what? As an apostle, as a missionary, as a spokesperson for Jesus Christ, I have a right, he's saying, to be supported by you in order that that message could get out to as many people as possible. That's his argument. And it's valid. But then he goes on. He says, but you know what? If that's causing a problem, uh, if that is offensive to you, whether you're a Greek or a Jew, or if it's offensive to you, whether you're not another believer, if it's offensive to you, then I don't want to be offensive to you because my offense, I don't want that to be a stumbling block from the truth of the message. So now he goes on. He says this. This is a characteristic that you must have and I must have in order to win people to Jesus Christ. He says that we must have the proper attitude. 1 Corinthians 9, 15 through 18, he says, but I have not used any of these rights, the rights that I just told you about. I'm entitled to them. I could use them. You should support me, but I haven't used any of them. You know why? And, I'm not, and I am not writing this in the hope that you'll do such things for me. I'm not writing to you crying the blues because I'm not being supported financially in order to try to generate some kind of financial support from you. I'm not even doing that. Listen to why I'm writing these things. I'm writing, I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of this boast. I'd rather die than have somebody say, hey man, the only reason that you're, you're spreading the good news, so to speak, is because you're making out on it. You're making bucks doing it. That's the only reason you're doing it. So he's saying, you know what, I'd rather die than have somebody say that to me. He says, I would rather die. Yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I'm simply discharging the trust that's committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this. That in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge and so not make, and so not make use of my rights in preaching it. Simple question. What is he saying is the proper attitude for proclaiming the gospel to non-believers? Why is he doing it? What he says. You know why I do it? Because it's the right thing to do. You follow that? It says, I'm compelled to do it. I preach the gospel. I can't boast because I'm compelled to preach. I have to do it. Now, if I remember right, one of the last things that Jesus said was, he goes, oh, go into all the nations. Go everywhere you can. Making disciples of everyone. And baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The, the, the command is to go and tell people about Jesus Christ. That's the command. We don't have a choice. You want to please God? Here's another area. You don't have a choice. I don't have a choice. I am compelled to preach the gospel. Not because I'm standing up here, but because it's been entrusted to me because I've accepted Jesus Christ. 
I've put my faith and trust in him. And if you have, guess what? You've been entrusted with the same message. You have the same stewardship. You are now accountable as a steward of the message that God has given you of something tremendously valuable that you must share it with as many people as you can. You don't have a choice. And neither do I. That's what Paul said. I'm doing it because I have to do it. But you know what? A lot of it has to do with attitude, doesn't it? So, so let me just tell you how this works. Well, let's see. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel because I'm going to have to give an account for whether I did it or not. It's part of my stewardship or the resources, the valuable resources that God gave me. We talked about finances. There's another one. Valuable resource given to you by God. You're a steward of. You'll, hold, you'll be held accountable for what you did with it. Another message. Here it is. Here's, here's the, the valuable jewel or gem of the message and the good news of forgiveness and love in Jesus Christ. You'll be held accountable. So, so woe to me. If I don't preach the gospel, I've got some explaining to do. So he says, if I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. You know what? But if not voluntarily, I'm simply discharging the trust that's committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this. In preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge, so not to make use of my right in preaching it. You know, I said to do it, it's a stewardship. Our witness to non-believers should never be based on anything that we would gain personally by doing so. It's always based on simply the fact that it's the best thing for them to hear what we're about to share. Period. That's it. Why do it? Well, man, I, I see no benefit in it for me. Bad attitude. Why do it? Because you have to do it. Why do it, though? Because it's good for the person that's going to hear it. Think about them for a change instead of yourself. Think about the hindrances, why you don't do it. doesn't it always revolve around the me. Uh, well, I don't do it because. Well, I'm not really good at it. I'm afraid what they're going to think. When I first became a Christian, I was really fanatical, and I turned a lot of people off, and now I got a bad experience by it, and you know, people are really turned off to it. And so I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm not going to jam it down in your stores. I don't want to tell anybody about it anymore. I'm just going to live it. Why? I, I, me, me. I'm afraid what people think about me. I'm afraid that I'm going to be inadequate. I'm afraid that I'm not going to do it right. I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. It's me. I don't care enough about you because I'm more worried about me. Bad attitude. He said, you just do it because it's the best thing for the person hearing it. Don't worry whether it's going to benefit you or not. Consider some of the other admonitions that were given in other areas of Scripture, in this whole area. First Peter, Peter says, you know what? He says, be shepherds of God. In First Peter 5, 2 through 4, it says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you've got to do it, not because you must do it, but because you're willing as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade. He gives us some, several little suggestions as far as serving other people. Why serve someone else? Because it's good for them. Number one is because it's also a command. Be shepherds. Serve others. Do it. It's the right thing to do. There's a mandate from God that we have to do it. Then he goes on and he says, you know what? But do so serving as overseers, not because you, you must, but because you're willing to do it. The manner in which we should serve one another is, is out of, I want to do it. It's the right thing to do. And then he gets into motives. He says, you know what? And you want to do it because God wants you to do it, not because you're going to make a buck doing it. We've got to be very careful. And it's just not people who are in full-time Christian service that have to worry about manipulating other people for their own benefit. I've seen others, I've seen husbands manipulate their wives, 
using the word of God as the tool in which they do whatever they want to do. I've seen wives manipulate their husbands. I've seen dating relationships manipulate one another, all under the guise of we're Christians or whatever you want to call it. I've seen employers and employees manipulate one another, all using the word of God for some type of benefit of their own. There are a lot of us who manipulate the word of God for our own benefit, and God says, you know what, stop doing it. Stop doing that. Say, man, you know what? He's saying that he was open and, tra and transparent. Look what he says in 1 Thessalonians 2, 3 through 5. Paul again says, you know what? For the appeal we make does not spring from error or, immune or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. We're not doing this. We're not saying these things to get a buck out of you. That's not what's motivating us. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be trusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please men, but God, who tests our heart. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. He said he never hid behind his Christian shield to use it to somehow manipulate others to get what he wanted. You know why you should share the gospel with others? Because it's simply good for them. You know what amazes me? Well, frankly, it irritates me more than it amazes me. I'll be honest with you. There we go. Well, you know what it is? It's, it's Christians quote-unquote, who hide behind the title of being a Christian all in a vain attempt or in a rather awkward attempt to rip other people off. I hate that. Disgust me. I see it in, you know, I, I see it in college situations. I was talking to a friend one time and he said, man, you know what? When you go to Christian college, it's great. All you have to do is tell somebody that you're a Christian and all their guards are lowered and you can do pretty much anything you want to do when you're out on a date. Oh, you're a Christian? Oh, I'm a Christian. Oh, yeah, so am I. Well, do you think this is really wrong? I don't think so. I know a little bit more about the Bible than you do. Don't worry about it. You know what I mean? And we use that and we manipulate one another. Or in business, this is the greatest. We got on one side of our mouth, we're asking for a good deal from somebody because, hey, we're Christian brothers. Cut me a break price-wise. And then on the other side of our mouth, we're sticking it to anybody that we can because we're getting advantage of it from that side. Oh, we're Christians. Hi, lower your guard so we can get in your back pocket. So on one side, we're like the parable. It's like, here, you're forgiven. Great. Thank you for forgiving me of this astronomical debt so I can choke the snot out of somebody who owes me nothing. <laughs> Disgust me. I've got a friend who said, you know what? I don't want to do business with Christians anymore. You know why? Because they don't pay their bills. They want the best price up front, and then they never pay their stinking bills. And then when you call them, you say, is there a problem? Well, yeah, you know, I really don't like the price. Well, didn't you know about it up front? Well, yeah. Didn't you agree to it? Yeah. Well, why don't you like it? Because I don't want to pay it. Now, say that. Come up with some stupid answer like, you know, well, you know, I thought as a Christian I'd get a little better deal. Well, let me just tell you something. Being in business, I know this. Whether I'm a Christian or not a Christian, I still have to pay for stuff that I sell to people. Now, I could call them and say, hey, you know what? I'm a Christian. I think you should give it to me free. And they look at you and they laugh and they say, yeah, see, all you Christians are like that. You're pretty stupid. <laughs> Why would anybody want to become a Christian? If you think you get something for free, uh, you're not too bright. So I don't know what you have to offer me. See what I mean? It's disgusting. How many of you are talking out of both sides of your mouth? I'm a Christian. Give me a good break. Pay up or I'll kill you. You know, we think it's funny, but we do it all the time. And frankly, it just, it just disgusts me. I see it over and over again in business, and I just, I, you know what? Here, here's what I tell you. Don't tell anybody you're a Christian. Would you please? 
take the bumper sticker off your car and off the windows and all the rest of it. Take the little lapel tags off of your suit. Just don't identify yourself with being a Christian. I don't want anybody, when they see you screwing them in a deal, I don't want them to think of me. I'm not being funny. I'm being serious. He's saying that, you know what? We just need the right attitude. And we share the gospel with people because it's good for them. Not because it's good for us. Not because we'll make a buck. Not because we can manipulate them and have them lower their guard so we can get in their back pocket because they're not paying attention. All because we told them we're Christians and you can trust us. If you tell them you're a Christian and they can trust you, you better be trustworthy. God help you otherwise. Because you're in deep spiritual doo-doo. Like that. I was trying to be funny. Uh, okay, good. Listen up. Man, is it getting warm in here? Good. Be consistent. Be honest. Come on up. No problem. Tell me about it. I know that. I'm just... Yeah, it's always the mother. I think... No doubt about it. It's got to be your child. I know how that works. See? You know how it is. It's like when they're bad, they're all Linda's kids. What are your kids doing now? No, actually. Uh, okay, number two. You ready? We need to have a spiritual aim. Here's another characteristic of people who want to be pleasing to God in the area of evangelism. We must have a spiritual aim. Spiritual aim. 1 Corinthians 9, 19, and 22, again, in context of what we've already seen, Paul goes on and he says this. Hey, though, I'm a free, though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the weak I became weak, to win the weak I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. What was his spiritual aim? What was it? Save people. You know what he said? Hey, I'll do whatever I got to do so that person can more clearly see the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to get in the way. I'm going to do whatever I have to do not to be offensive to the person that I want to win to Jesus Christ. You want know the biggest problem that we have in evangelism? Quite frankly, it's very simple. You know what the biggest problem is? We hit what we're aiming for. Nothing. How many of you have a spiritual aim to reach people for Christ? How many of you are, are working with people and, and doing things that, frankly, you think, man, I, I hate doing this, I hate being this way, I don't want to be, but, but you know what, I don't want to be offensive, and I want them to see G Jesus Christ. I want them to see how much God loves them. I want them to see that God will forgive them, no matter what they're doing. I don't want to be offensive myself. I'm going to do whatever I can so that I can win people to Christ. We don't have spiritual aims, and therefore, that's exactly what we hit. We don't have a target. How many of you can honestly say that you've got a handful of people you're working with that are not Christians who you're trying in every way possible to win them for Jesus? How many can say that? There's a few people out here. How many honestly can say that? You got a couple people in mind? Great. Eight hands out of 300? That's impressive. What is wrong with the rest of us? What are we doing? He has a spiritual aim. That's what he said. You know what? Man, I know that there's other responsibilities. I know there's other priorities. I know we've got to juggle our relationships at home. We've got to juggle our, our you know, rearing our children. We have to ju juggle church activity. We've got to juggle, um, you know, 
we got to juggle, juggle all these things, Bible studies and, and shepherd group activities and all this stuff. We got to juggle all that. Got to go to work. Got to juggle it all. And I know that. And we're busy. And man, we're just really being stretched time-wise. But how many of us have a spiritual aim? The aim to reach people for Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting. We got to get specific on it because it's like, if giving pleases God, follow me for a minute. If giving pleases God, how and when do you give in order to meet that objective? Okay. There isn't anybody in here, how many would say that sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with others is not a good goal to shoot for? Not a good goal. Not, worthy, not worth doing. How many believe that it actually is? Oh, I, there wasn't anybody who would say it isn't. We know that, right? Giving pleases God. So when do you write the check and how do you do it? Asking for wisdom pleases God. When do you get on your knees? When do you ask? And what decision-making process are you going through that you've asked God for wisdom and you've searched his word for the answer? So you've got to get specific. Now, evangelism pleases God, and we say we want to do it and we want to please God. Then get specific with me for a minute. When and how are you going to go about it? When and how are you going to go about it? The problem is that most of us would agree that this is a great spiritual aim, but our goals slowly erode with time. Let me give you a great example. Here's a guy that was in Atlanta, and he saw this when he was visiting the Deep South, and, it's, and to me, it illustrates that our objectives are easily lost. We want to win people for Jesus Christ. We really do. It's the right thing to do. We want to please God. But that objective ends up slowly getting lost because of the distractions of the immediate. Okay? We, we get sidetracked. Give me an example. This guy says, when I lived in Atlanta several years ago, I noticed in the yellow pages... In the listing of restaurants, an entry for a place called Church of God Grill. He says, the peculiar name aroused my curiosity and I dialed the number. A man answered with a cheery, hello, Church of God Grill. I asked how his restaurant had been given such an unusual name and he told me, well, we had a little mission down here and we started selling chicken dinners after church on Sunday to help pay the bills. Well, people liked the chicken and we did such a good business that eventually we cut back on the church service. After a while, we just closed down the church altogether and kept on serving the chicken dinners. We kept the name we started with, and that's Church of God Grill. It's hilarious. I mean, it's amazing to me. But how many of us have gotten sidetracked? We start out, we want to win people for Jesus Christ. And you know what ends up happening? We want more for them to like us than we do for them to come to know Christ. We get distracted with all of it. It's like, you know, we want people to like us. No one likes not being liked. And so we, we, we set out with a spiritual aim, and the aim is, you know what, I want more than anything for, for him or her, for the people we work with, for our teammates, for people that, uh, that are students. We want more than anything for our relatives. We want more than anything for people we come in contact with to know Jesus Christ. But then something happens along the way and that objective slowly erodes because it becomes more important for them to like us than it is for us to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And so while this guy ends up selling chicken instead of having church services, we end up hanging around people and partying with them, having a good time because we want them to like us. Not because we want them to know the, the God who can forgive them and love them. We don't want that. We want to be liked. It's amazing to me. Here's another example. You thought that was dumb. Listen to this one. Here was a Eastern Airlines jumbo jet, Florida Everglades, flight 401, 
out of New York bound for Miami with a heavy load of holiday passengers was ready to land at Miami's airport. And, a, and, the, and as the aircraft approached Miami airport, a light that indicates proper deployment of the landing gear failed to come on. So the plane flew in a large looping circle over the swamps of the Everglades while the cockpit crew checked out the light failure. And their question was this, had the landing gear actually been deployed or was it just the light bulb that was defective? So to begin with, the flight engineer fiddled with the bulb and he tried to remove it but he wouldn't budge it. Another member of the crew became curious and tried to help him out and then, and then another one. And one by one, if you can believe it, all the eyes of everyone in the cockpit were on the little light bulb that refused to dislodge from its light socket. No one noticed that the plane was losing altitude and finally it flew right in the middle of the Everglades. That was the cause of the crash. Everybody in the cockpit was looking at a light bulb. They forgot to do one thing. Fly the plane. Slight problem. But you know what? We're no different. Think about it. We're no different as Christians. We're no different. We come to church. We do all these things. We're in shepherd groups. We have Bible studies. We have prayer meetings. We, we have morning devotions. You know, we give. We tithe. We ask God for wisdom. I mean, we do all these things. Oh, we're doing them too. And that's good. And we should be doing them because those things please God too. But then the, the ultimate objective and the purpose, the express purpose of the church here on earth is to share with others the good news of the love and forgiveness of God in Jesus Christ. That is why we're here. Our ultimate objective is to let everybody we possibly can know that God loves them, that Jesus died for them, He rose from the dead to prove who He was, and if you simply believe that and had faith and trust in that, then you'd be right with God and spend eternity with Him and you'd be forgiven. That's our ultimate objective. That's why we're here. But you know what? We're all looking at the little light bulb socket. If four or five people can raise their hand and say, I've got spiritual aims and these are people that I want to reach and the rest of us don't, we're all in the cockpit looking at a light bulb stock and we're ready to go into the Everglades. And how tragic it would be one day that people would become your friend only to spend eternity separated from you because you were more concerned about them liking you than you were about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. What a tragedy that would be. Could you even imagine for a moment? And by the way, what kind of friend would let somebody else go to hell forever without at least warning them and telling them that it's a possibility? What kind of friends are we? You know, one of the things that I've got to be careful of, I don't get sidetracked and distracted. You know, working with the Rams and all the stuff that's going on, sometimes, you know, there are people who absolutely hate your guts. They don't want to see you there. When they see you there, they grunt. Like some of you do. They just grunt. They don't want to see you there. They don't, want, they don't want to see me around. I know that. And so what I can do is I can start kind of snibbling and whining and complaining. Gee, why don't people like me? And do everything I can so someone would just like me. But you know what? Once I get them to like me, I may lose the aim. And the aim is, guess what? Man, you know what? I've been praying for six months or a year that this person would like me, that this person would go to lunch with me, that this person would spend some time with me. And the only reason I've been doing it is because I want to share the gospel with them. I don't care whether they like me or not. If I'm offensive, I need to stop being offensive. If I'm sinning and it's causing confusion in their life, I need to stop doing that. They need to see a clear picture. But by the time they become my friend, I'm doing it for one reason. And that's to let them know that God loves them and Jesus is there willing and available and ready to forgive them at any moment that they choose to believe in Him. I don't need any more friends who are going to spend eternity in hell. I need friends that I'm going to share the gospel with.
You know what? Jesus hung out with people that you wouldn't hang out with. He says, I've written to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Speaking of believers, he said, you know what? Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral. They are greedy. They are swindlers. They are idolaters. They're all the things you can think of and more. But you know what? In that case, you'd have to leave the world. No, God wants us to hang out with people who don't know Him. You know what the greatest example is? Jesus Christ. Look what it says. We'll wrap it up for right now on this. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. That was His mission. That was His purpose. Can you imagine for a moment when He was tempted in the wilderness by Satan in Matthew chapter 4? When Satan said, Look, Jesus, I'll give you power. I'll give you possessions. I'll give you all the pleasure that this world has to offer. And have him going like this. No, why did I come here again? Oh, I know. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's my mission. But man, this stuff all looks pretty good. I think I'll go and do this. Could you imagine if we had a Savior who was distracted the way that we are? He wouldn't have saved us. We've got people who say, I want to be your friend. And then you get hung up and just being their friend. And hanging out with them. And having a good time with them. And spending time. And you're not offensive anymore. And they're starting to really like you. Now that you got them to like you, when are you going to share the gospel with them? Huh? When are you going to do it? Isn't that why you want them to like you? So you can show them that, hey, Christians are not really that bad. Christians have peace and love and joy and hope and purpose and fulfillment and contentment. And they know where they're going. And I want you to know that. When are you going to share it with them? This person you're calling your friend that's on their way to hell, do you love them? Do you care about them? Or are you more worried about what they think of you than you are of them? The big knock to Jesus was that he hung around with tax collectors and sinners. Look at that. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. You know, Pharisees, those religious people, the people who hang out in churches all the time, that when you go out and you're with a friend who's not a Christian, they start asking questions. Look who he's hanging around. So said, you know what? He says, look what they said. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, man, you know what? This man welcomes sinners. He even eats with them. What's his problem? What kind of religious guy is he anyway? Doesn't he know he should be separated from people like that? He hangs around with sinners and hookers and, and, and he goes to parties and... Man, you know what? Maybe even had a glass of wine. Oh, my gosh. Maybe even went to a ball game and a movie with him. Oh, my gosh. Could you just die? You know why he did those things? Because it was to meet the, the ultimate objective. He's going to love him into the kingdom of God. You know what? I don't know. I don't even know how to sum it all up. I guess the best way to do it is just, hey... Are you more worried about pleasing God or pleasing men? You're more worried about people becoming your friend than you are about telling them of the great love and forgiveness they can find in Jesus Christ? Are you content with them going to hell as your friend? Then risk the possibility that you may offend them by warning them of the disaster that's to come. Man, you know what? I never want to have anybody go to hell. And say, man, you knew me for 15 years. We hung around together. We worked together. We did things together. We golfed together. We went to games together. We did all this stuff together. And man, you said you were my friend. And you didn't once, not once, warn me 
that there was a place called hell. And you never once offered me any hope that I could be forgiven and know God personally through Jesus Christ. You never once did that. What kind of friend are you? And the answer is an obvious one. You're no friend at all. Make friends with people for one reason. That's to introduce them to Jesus Christ. And that'll please God. And that'll bring glory to God. And it also alleviate a major burden and guilt that you feel every time you're with somebody who doesn't know Christ and you know you should be sharing with them. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to look at a couple characteristics of a person who is pleasing to God. It's no question that the life of the Apostle Paul pleased you in so many ways. And in this particular way, it has to do with sharing the good news and the love and the forgiveness of God and Jesus Christ. God, help us to become just like him. Help us to have the proper attitude that we share the gospel for no other reason but because it's good for the person who hears it. And help us to set spiritual aims, to set goals that we can look at, that we can pray about, that we can try in every way possible. God, make us a friend of a person. Help us to be accepted by them. And we'll commit the only reason that we want to do it is so we can share your love and forgiveness with them. God, help us to become more wise in our relationships with one another. Our business associates, our family, our friends, our teammates, fellow students, whoever they may be in whatever arena we find ourselves. Help us not to get distracted to where we're looking at a light bulb socket or we're selling chicken, but we're offering something of great value, and that's the good news of your love and your forgiveness in Jesus Christ. God, help us to put our focus back on Him, to turn our eyes upon Jesus and to look full into His wonderful face. And we just thank You and praise You as You draw men and women to Yourself through our obedience. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.